All right. Welcome back, folks, to another edition of Kinda Christian, and I am more than kinda excited to welcome John Collins, the co-founder of The Bible Project, to the show. I am a huge fan of The Bible Project. Not only are their videos aesthetically astounding, they are also fascinating. Highly recommend everyone check them out, though the odds are you probably already have, because John will correct me if I'm wrong here. I think they've reached about several hundred million people at this point, and you guys have produced a couple hundred of these at least at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Congrats, man. These, the, it is a fantastic project, and uh, I'm, I'm so curious. I mean, I, I'd love to know, just how, did, how does one even come up with the concept for something as epic-sounding as The Bible Project? I do, I do <laughs> love the name. It's very, you know, it's, it's very profound. You know, it's like uh, The Bible yeah. Project. It was, the name's actually a bit of a mistake because um, it's not a great name uh, for an organization, we, we really couldn't come up with anything better. Like we, I was trying really hard to not call it Bible project or the Bible project. Cause it is a bit pretentious, the Bible project. So we actually took the, the off, um, and we're just Bible project. And then we squished the two words together so that it's not, so it's different than any other kind of Bible project you could do when you're in the Bible publishing world. Every thing you work on is a Bible project. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, it's too late. The ship has sailed. We are Bible Project. Okay. So I will now refer to you for the rest of this podcast as Bible Project, not the Bible Project. You, you, you can do it. You can do the Bible Project. I like it. I, it ho- I hope one day it'll sound like calling it the Facebook or something. <laughs> That's right. Because nothing says I'm cool or hip with the times like putting the in front uh, of yeah. uh, the Google. The if, if someone says they, they've Google. met you on the Google, you know yeah. they're in. You know they, they're up to date on everything. Uh, so I'd love to hear your process. So walk me, walk me through this. So you're, uh, you are from, are you from Oregon originally? I was born here in Portland, but then I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle. So Northwest kid. Okay. So you're well acquainted with rain. And so indoors trapped with no sunlight, (laughs) vitamin D deficient, seeking God. Is this how you, is this how one comes up with Bible project? There is a bit of this this generalized existential angst in the Northwest when you can't see the sun for 250 days a year. Um, I, I love cloudy day. I'm looking out the window right now. It's just gray clouds. It's comforting to me. It's like a warm, warm. It's like a blanket. It doesn't look warm or feel warm, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes you go inside. It makes you think about, um things get a little depressed and then try to express that depression and or any other sort of um emotion you're having through um whatever means possible so i think there is a spirit of um of art uh in portland and seattle because of that i mean everywhere but yeah there's there's something special happening in in this town and in this corner of the world well that makes sense you actually might be onto something we maybe that explains the the hip cultural vibe that is Portland and it's all the weather. I mean, I would be interested to see like, so I'm, you know, I'm from San Diego and I don't know how many famous artists or culture changing art projects come from San Diego. Is that because we're just outside hanging out at the beach? Yeah. You guys are just having way too much fun and, um, and just enjoying life way too much. So 
Yeah, um, but LA's yeah. in but see then LA's the exception to that because a lot of great music art comes out of Los Angeles and the weather is pretty much the same as it is in San Diego. Uh, so I don't know, maybe it's the traffic that keeps everyone at home so they can deal with the existential angst. There's, <laughs> yeah. there there's as a well. special kind of existential angst in LA. It's a smoggy kind. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you actually, you, you went to a, uh, a Christian college. You, you grew up in a faith background, right? Yeah. I grew up, um, in an evangelical church. Um, really amazing family, really great church. Uh, then I went, you know, I, and I started following Jesus right off the bat. I mean, as early as I can remember my, you know, my childhood was, um, a constant, like, did I get this right? Am I really a Christian? And, um, so becoming a Christian over and over again. Um, and, uh, and I just was always in, uh, and then I went to Bible college after high school here in Portland. That's what moved, that's what brought me back to Portland 20 years ago and studied the Bible was going to get into full-time ministry, but then, but then I was working at church here in Portland, young twenties, just out of high or out of college, newly married, was, was the pastor of this, this service, the Sunday night service at a big church with all the kids who didn't want to come on Sunday morning and young adults or whatever. And I was just like fully unprepared and was so young and just was like, what am I doing? Um, and I had this itch to what I really loved doing is explaining things. And I loved using the pulpit for that reason, like getting up and trying to make the Bible connect to our lives in a way that was really meaningful. But I mean, I didn't know what I was talking about and I was super young. And, uh, and so I just like, I want to be able to use that passion of explaining things, but I don't want to be the expert. I don't want to be the guy they look up and say, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. Cause I didn't. And, um, so that led me into this idea of being a documentary filmmaker. And so I bought some equipment and I just started doing whatever filming project people would give me. And, um, and that's kind of what I've been doing ever since is just making short explanations for things. Wow. So I'm surprised you didn't go into politics because that's a vocation where you could just explain things and it doesn't matter if you're the expert or not. You just get to say whatever you want. So, um, <laughs> it's, uh, so, and, and you were, so you were leading a church and I also read that you actually did some times overseas and missionary work, right? Yeah. So my very first year of marriage, I mean, we literally got married in August. We were on a plane in New Year's Eve of that year to go to Greece. And we spent, we were going to spend the whole year in Greece. It got cut short. Uh, but we were, we worked at a school, like a, a small Bible college that's connected with the um, uh, Cape and Ray Torchbearer schools. And then we worked on a sailboat uh, in the Aegean Sea that took like tours and brought people on to like Bible study tours. Wow. Um, that's yeah. Is, so it's interesting. You know, everyone's sitting at home going, you know, Lord, where are you sending me? Yeah, and, totally. And you're like, is, honey, do you, do you see a vision of a, of a beach, white sand beaches? Like, yeah. <laughs> Who will I send to the Mediterranean beaches? Yeah. Send me Lord. Send I will go. <laughs> the Aegean is not the quintessential sandy white beaches with, turquoise water it's kind of in the north near mount it's right at the base of mount olympus and uh is where we docked at the boat and um uh and it's and it's cold it's like where the odyssey takes place it's like so imagine like 
Homer, you know, or Poseidon and, and that whole thing. And like, that's, that was what it was like. Wow. So you did a, you did a year in Greece sharing the gospel in the Mediterranean? <laughs> we did. We ended up only doing like six months. Uh, it was a bit of a train wreck, honestly. Um, uh, uh, I mean, it could have like ended our marriage. It was intense. Like we had, we were having a wonderful time in this. So the boat we were on was this 90 foot, um, uh, double masted schooners, it's massive boat, massive, two big, massive mainsails. It was, and it was me, my wife as the cook, me as like the deckhand and then our, and then our skipper. Oh, so and you so lived three, on this boat. You, you actually lived on this boat. Yeah. Oh, so we like lived on this boat. People would come on. We'd take them on like, like this two week tour around the AGN, do Bible studies, do adventure stuff, drop them off, do another trip. And, um, the, that was amazing. I was having the time of my life. I mean, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, but, um, the skipper of the boat, um, I mean, this was 20 years ago. Um, he, uh, so I have no idea what this guy's up to now, but he was, he was, uh, really passive aggressive and did not like, did not like us. And, uh, or didn't, yeah, I mean, there just was a lot going on. It was, it was toxic. And so we ended up having to get off the boat and I wanted to stay. I wanted to make it work. I was like, I don't quit things. We're having the time of our lives. Let's just ignore that guy. And my wife was just like, I really can't handle this anymore. Um, you can't really get much space from someone when you live on the same boat as them and they're your boss. So that didn't end super well. And, um, but Fortunately, like I, and I was going to be, I was going to be super stubborn. I mean, I was young. We were newly married. I was like, I'm the leader of this family and we're going to stay. And did you say it like it, that? It was ugly. Did you, <laughs> did you say it with that tone? Like I am the leader and I will make us. Stay. Yeah. I got my like Darth Vader voice on. I was like, yeah, we'll get to that. I know you've been, you've been married. Submit, a woman. <laughs> yeah. I know you've been married a while. So I, I'd love to pick your brain on how well that goes over. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, probably no, that, that, that yeah, never works. Not as good. Also, I think a lot more people would go to Bible study if it was on a adventuring boat. And I have to ask, would you would you take them out into storms and then posit who is sinning to see <laughs> who needs to be thrown overboard as sort of a faith exercise and then see if there's any fish that swallow people up or did you crash land ever on any islands, you know, to, to minister? These are to great ideas and we could totally reboot the whole adventure sailing thing. I mean, it's on my bucket list. My brother has a sailboat in Seattle and, um, and we did a trip just recently and it's just sailing is for me, the perfect everything. It's just perfect. I love it. And mm. some adventure sailing, throwing some Bible, throwing a shipwreck. Great. Let's do it, man. Wow, throwing a deadly a deadly snake to just come out of the woods and bite you. Simulate yeah, we'll, it, we'll yeah. stop off at an island. We'll wrestle some snakes. We'll see how that goes. And yeah, <laughs> that's so cool, man. What a what an interesting first year of marriage. That's uh, definitely that's definitely a, a first. I haven't heard about. Uh, yeah, don't do it. I mean, there's some wisdom in like really making your first year of marriage chill, mm. and we didn't do that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I guess sailing on a boat with a Bible study in the agency is not chill. It could uh, be. I mean, it could have been amazing. We were one skipper away from it being the most epic thing that we've ever done. Sounds like you had like Captain Hook or something or Barbosa uh, for, <laughs> for your boat. <laughs> um, all right, so you 
you came back from this tumultuous time at sea <laughs> and <laughs> you come back uh no eye patch or anything you know and, and yeah and, out of the belly of the whale yeah out of the belly of the whale you return to portland mm -hmm. and then is this when you start your because uh, you actually had a pretty successful, you know, private sector career with Epithio, and you developed a, an ability to do these explainer videos, and were really sort of a pioneer in that genre, if I may be so bold to say so. Yeah, thanks. Um, that was so. Yeah, we came back from Greece. I actually took the job at the church right when I got back. Did that for a year, and then said, um, "Hey, uh, why don't you hire someone else?" Actually, what happened was that church. The it was a it was a Sunday night service of a bigger church, and I was like, "We got to either be one church, or this needs to be a church plant." And I'm not the guy for either. And so, um, I helped it become a church plant, and then I uh, started getting into document. What well, what I want to do is documentary filmmaking, um, and so I just started um, making videos for anyone who would pay me any money. Like, uh, or even wouldn't pay me money. Just like, let me make something for you. And what I got really good at was making short videos that would explain what someone was up to in a meaningful way. And um, I was really good at editing, um, really horrible at filming. So I'd go out and I'd film stuff. I'd bring it back and I'd be like, this is horrible. I don't want to use it. I started to learn how to then, instead of using film, use illustrations and art and text on screen that moves around to to communicate those ideas which actually helped me make the video shorter and more interesting and then that became what has now become like the explainer video i didn't invent the explainer video other people were doing this but i was doing it along with these other people at the very beginning of like this kind of product and so i then teamed up with some friends and we built a business uh, called Epiphio that was just like marketing and and just churning out these explainer videos for mainly tech companies. And that was, yeah, it went really well. Like everyone in, who had any sort of product or service online who had um, some money wanted one. It was, and we sold a bunch and we made a bunch and that was really successful. And I learned a ton about business as well as learning a ton about the craft of explanation through visual media. That's awesome. And so naturally you said, you know what? The most famous document of all time, the Bible, no explainer videos on this, right? No so, explainer videos. Yeah, so who's going to who's going to do this, right? And so what was the real genesis of the Bible project? I'm sorry, Bible project. <laughs> when when did this all, when did this ferment and just, you know, come to fruition for you? Uh, yeah, I, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking I, I'm, I'm developing my craft as an explainer with this visual medium because I want to actually explain things that are really significant. Um, do really good journalistic work, do really good documentary work, do really good educational work. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, growing up in the faith, going to Bible college, being told my whole life, the Bible can unlock the mysteries of this world and the next. I was like that, that I'd love to dive in deeper. Um, and, uh, and so I wanted, I kept in my mind, I had this idea for a YouTube channel called theology is boring. And it was just going to be a bunch of theology explainer videos. Um, and, uh, and the thing that was going through my mind was if I made this channel, everyone on the internet would, um, 
tell me how I'm wrong all the time because I probably will get a lot of things wrong and the internet can be a cruel place. So um, I had a good buddy, I have a good buddy, and I work with him now, Tim, who I went to school with at this Bible college and, and um, that I went that I went to, and we met there. He just kind of went on to study the Bible for another two decades and got, got his doctorate and just this uber geek. And so, and we were good buddies. And he, whenever we had a chance to talk Bible, he was one of those guys that like knew his stuff, but also just had this, this spirit of humility. No question was off the table. I could ask him anything. Um, there's this, there's this kind of thing in Christian culture where it's like, you sort of can ask any question, but maybe once. But if you like follow it up with like, ask the same question again, people start looking at you like maybe you don't really belong and you're not a Jesus follower. And so I kind of got used to the fact that I could only ask certain questions and I can only ask them a certain amount of times. But with Tim, it was like, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. Like, let's go for it. And I would ask a question, and he'd be like, "That's interesting." But here's another question under that question that's even more interesting. I'm like, "Yes," and then we would go for it. And I was like, "Tim, please make these videos with me. Um, I I don't want people to get mad at me. They can get mad at you." And uh, um, and he was and he was really stoked for to do it. He had been already um, making these short five minute videos where he just kind of would outline on a whiteboard the like the 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 design of a book of the bible and he did it for a church he was pastoring at at the time and um and so uh he was already kind of in love with that in love he just he liked that the visual medium for that reason and he he had a he had a vision for it as well so we teamed up and couldn't come up with a good name called it the bible project and uh started a youtube channel to just start putting these videos out Wow. Did you ever have any idea that it would grow to be as successful and ubiquitous as it has? No, no, it's grown way, yeah, way beyond what we anticipated. Um, I mean, there was a part of me that was like, I mean, I know the power of these visual explanations that they can go viral really quickly um, and that they can make a big impact. So I knew that, but um but I just didn't anticipate that. I mean, I just thought it would be a project that we would make these on the side. We'd have our own, our own day jobs. Um, and some of them would go viral. Some of them wouldn't, we'd just get enough money to make the next one. Um, but, but what's happened is an entire organization has been built up and there's like, there's thousands of people who are like giving monthly and it's like, it's turned into a, like a, a thing. And it's, and I've just, yeah, been blown away. I just didn't anticipate that uh, at all. Wow. Did you secure the grant to do the 3D version of all these videos? Because I know <laughs> that the next thing, like the word coming at you, you know, or IMAX, you know, see the Bible in IMAX. That'd be pretty cool. I am, I am experimenting with VR explainers. Whoa. Um, oh, man. I, uh, go back to actually see how it actually was. <laughs> that certain books would probably be better for that like you know definitely some some be a little more vi like you know you do want to go back to uh you know deuteronomy or lamentations in uh in vr and you're like oh that's pretty sad man you know yeah just get depressed i uh well that's one approach is like just try to recreate the world and like sit where jesus sat whatever and that's a vr thing a lot of people um will be doing that um i'm more interested in 
how do you use virtual reality, which is, I mean, basically, you know, what we're working with right now is, is a screen in front of you in like a 1920 by 1080 resolution or 4k or whatever, but just like a, a screen in front of you and then whatever you can do with that screen. And what virtual reality does is it just makes it so that the screen is everywhere and it's in 3d. Um, and so it's very immersive and it doesn't mean that the right decision is always, Hey, let's put you in the temple Mount or let's put you where King David killed Goliath. Like, um, that, that'd be cool. In fact, there's a Goliath King David VR game coming out that I'm, I I've been meaning to, um, check out, but, um, but I'm really interested in, um, how do you create that same aha moment of like, how all the pieces work together and do it without just one little screen, do it with being immersed by, by everything. And, um, I don't know how it's the best way to do that yet, but I'm experimenting. Well, if someone will figure it out, it'll be you guys. So I'm curious, uh, this question comes up all the time, uh, when we look up Bible project, but now having done hundreds of these videos and partnered up with a theologian in residence for lack of a better term, uh, have you experienced a significant shift in any of your outlook or theology as a result of now creating all these explainer videos about the Bible? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I mean, we've been doing this for six or seven years now. I get, I get to sit down and talk theology with Tim. It's like I have my own personal professor who I can, and I'm just his one eager student. And um, and so I feel like I've been going through my version of seminary um, and uh, and I've been learning so much and I've been unlearning a lot. And um, I came to, you know, I, I've always, I've always been in, I've always been like, I want to follow Jesus. And, uh, but with the Bible itself, I was like, I was really eager to figure the Bible out. I went to Bible college, but then after that, I was just like, you know what? The Bible is a bit of a hindrance to me. I, I this wasn't, a, this wasn't like a conscious thought. This was kind of more like retrospectively, like I was becoming a post Bible Christian. Like I want to follow Jesus, but the Bible's getting in the way. Every time I open it, I end up with more questions than I have answers. I, I end up more confused, uh, sometimes uh, frustrated, sometimes angry. Um, and, uh, and so I just was okay with following Jesus without really understanding the Bible. Now, at the same time, I still wanted to do this theology channel. So it was kind of like I still wanted to explore it, but I was okay with the fact that like... Um, that I wasn't going to be a real student of the Bible. It wasn't going to be something that I felt like was going to define my life in the way it was when I was going to Bible school. Um, and this project's just totally flipped that on its head to where it's like the Bible is um, to me now such a uh, weird and wonderful book that like, I'm excited to devote my whole life to being a meditator of. Um, and, uh, and that actually surprised me that that, that happened. Um, and uh, uh, so yeah, the, the, 
I, I think the biggest shift for me was my paradigm coming to the Bible. And Tim talks about this a lot. Like we have our own categories for what the Bible is. Um, and uh, most of them are, are well-intentioned, but just they fall short. And mine was like, it's a devotional grab bag. You go there to find like the kind of warm fuzzies and the like the spiritual one-liners that are going to help me through the day. The other one I had was that it was like this, this rule book. Uh, I find what God's will is for me. Um, and then also like it was this theology handbook, like take all the text, put it through this matrix to create some sort of systematic theology so I can understand who God is and understand what salvation is and kind of make the, all the spiritual laws. All of those are really well-intentioned paradigms for the Bible, but what Tim, like his kind of like seminary I've been going through is like the Bible is a, it's literature. It's, it's ancient Jewish literature. And, uh, and we believe as followers of Jesus that it's, it's God's word but it doesn't make it less literature. And it's, it's, and, and the reason why we should care about it is because, because Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of it. And, um, and, and so coming to the Bible as a piece of literature just really unlocked it for me. Just the, the beauty of it, understanding it on its terms, how it works as literature. And my fear initially going in through this paradigm was that this was going to turn the Bible into something just human domesticate the Bible. Um, but the opposite has totally happened as we've approached it through this lens. It has just become more impressive, more beautiful, more divine, like every step of the way. And, um, and it's just, it, it, it's become entrancing. Like, I, I love it. I love, I love um, the opportunity to continue to study it. And, um, uh, and that's, that is surprising. You can only have a, like a handful of hobbies in your life that you really geek out about. Like in Portland, you're like either brewing beer or you're like, I don't know, a tattoo artist or, or I don't know. I don't know what you're doing. But like you can only focus on a few things and really make that like your obsession. And as Christians, for whatever reason, um, we've been given this opportunity to geek out about the Bible, this ancient literature. And, um, uh, and I like it, it, it's now in my top things that I want to geek out about for the rest of my life. So you were talking about how now that you've done so many of these explainer videos and you've, you've captured this new interest in the Bible and find it more riveting, I'm curious to learn what have you unlearned, as you mentioned, about the Bible, things that you held to be true for so long and now look back and after doing these videos, maybe completely disagree, et cetera? And what things have you changed on? And now you're like, oh my gosh, like this, this now makes total sense to me where it didn't before. I'd, I'd love to hear about your, your process from this. Yeah. Uh, well, the unlearning, um, I think one big thing was just this whole idea of heaven and hell. Um, it was the first video we made for Bible Project. It's a video called Heaven and Earth. And um, and it's, it's just kind of remarkable that I grew up with this picture in my mind that um, of this story of, you know, I live here on earth now, but one day I'll die and I'll either go to heaven or I'll go to hell. Heaven in my mind was some kind of mystical place 
is in the clouds, pearly gates. It's just, but it's not earthly. And then hell was just this horrible place of torment. And, um, and that is nowhere in the Bible um, of like leaving earth to go to heaven or hell. There's, there's maybe like a couple of verses that might, you might think, oh, okay, maybe that's what that's talking about. Like with Jesus on the cross saying to the criminal today, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, he's about to die. Where is he going? Where is this paradise? There's something about some disembodied experience in some other reality. But overall, the story of the Bible is about um, earth being recreated and, um, uh, and humans reigning on earth um, in, in eternity. And that's such a, a different story than was in my head. I kind of had to unlearn that. I actually started unlearning that before Bible Project. Um, there's this really, uh, there's this guy in town, Randy Elkhorn, he's written a bunch. Um, he has this book called Heaven. And he came, he spoke at the chapel at the school I was at, and, and he kind of broke that down. Like, look at the last page of the Revelation. Heaven, the holy city of Jerusalem comes down to earth, and earth is recreated. And I was like, what? Like, I, I, I couldn't, I didn't have a category for that. And um and so really like learning that that storyline which is connected to maybe something that i didn't have to unlearn but the something i got to learn which has just been so instrumental to my faith now which is that the story of the bible is about god creating humans as his 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 partners I, we've been using the word partner a lot um his representative we represent his authority this is the whole theology of the image of god um, I, I used to think in Genesis one, God makes male and female in his image. And this idea of being God's image, I just thought was maybe talking about like our rationality that we're, we can think and are conscious, like God is conscious. And that's maybe that's what it's talking about. Um, but this idea of being an image is actually much more central to the whole story of the Bible, which is the, an image, it's, it's the Hebrew word for idol statue. It's if you would go into a pagan temple and you would see a statue there of the God and, and you would be like, oh, that's the God, whatever his name is. And that's his statue. And the statue represented that God's authority. And you would actually treat that statue with as much respect as you would treat the God. Um, and, um, and in Genesis 1, God creates humanity as his image that we represent who God is on earth. Um, and at a climactic moment in the, in the story of creation on the seventh day, or sorry, on the sixth day. And, um, uh, and this idea of, of being God's image ruling. I mean, in that verse it says, I made you, uh, God makes them in the image of God, male and female, he creates them. And then it gives the task, which is to rule and to multiply and subdue the earth. So it's this idea of us as humanity being God's representative. That just, um, that paired with the fact that we're not going to zap out of here into some other reality just to kind of hang out in eternal bliss, but that God wants to reclaim that vocation for us to be his ruling representatives over the cosmos just is such a grander story. Um, and it's right there and it's just something I never learned. And I got, I got to learn. Um, so 
And then the whole idea in general of looking for themes, design patterns of like the Bible will take something like the image of God and then it'll just keep thinking about it and churning that idea over and over um, throughout the whole story. And then it'll come to Jesus. And Jesus is always like the climax of that theme. Jesus is the true image of God. He's the, the true human who could partner with God in the way that we're supposed to. Um, but he's more than that. He's also, he's also the image of the invisible God in, in a way that he represents God that, that humanity doesn't in which that he is God incarnate. Um, but this idea that, that Jesus is our brother and that he is the true image. Now we can, we can regain access to that. Um, so these themes be the image of God, the theme of heaven and earth uniting, the theme of a Messiah to come, uh, which what I, you know, I had, I had a bearing for that, but other themes that I was completely unaware of, um, were themes like, uh, I mean, we just released this video today called the test. It's kind of the, the theme of God testing humanity, just something I never really meditated on. When you say testing, um, do you mean like, uh, as in through faith, as in like testing their, their desire to follow him or what is uh, what is the test? Yeah. Yeah, the test, like, well, you know, the back to the creation story, um, well, we were talking about the first creation story, but if you turn the page of the second creation story, God puts humanity in a garden, and then he says, hey, there's this tree, you can eat of this tree, well, eat of all the trees, but there's this one tree that'll give you eternal life, it's in the, like, holy of holies of the garden, it represents God's life, and then he says, there's this other tree I put here too, don't eat it. It's going to lead to death. And it's a tree of like knowing good and evil of deciding on our own terms, what is, what is good and bad instead of trusting God's wisdom. So, so God puts this test in front of humanity and says, do you have what it takes? Can you eat of my life and live uh, as, as my human partners through my wisdom? Or are you going to do it on your own terms? And it was a clearly a test. And that really bugged me. And I remember it bugging my friends too growing up, our, my church friends of like, why would God create this test? Because if Adam and Eve hadn't failed, we'd all be fine. And, um, and then the very next story, Cain and Abel, the next generation of humanity, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, how do, we, how do we kind of regain access to this Eden blessing that's been lost? They are offering sacrifices at the gate of Eden. And God honors one sacrifice. He doesn't honor the other. Story doesn't say why it's cryptic, um, but then but Cain who gives the bad sacrifice gets angry, and then God says to Cain, um, you know why are you angry? Do what's right, and um, and you will live, uh, and uh, and then he says this really cool kind of cryptic riddle, which is sin is crouching at your door and you must master it, and and so it's like this other test that he puts in front of Cain. It's like what are you going to do with your anger? Are you going to master it um, or are you going to let it master you? And Ken, Cain lets it master him. That, that, that term, uh, that Hebrew word crouching actually is um, the word of an, a prey animal getting ready to like crouching devour its cray, prey. So you just get this picture of sin, uh, the sinister evil like that that's trying to destroy us. Um, and then just over and over, just look at every character in the Bible. Like they go through tests like Abraham offering Isaac on, on the, um, on the mountain, uh, was what God it says in the story and God tested Abraham. And why is God testing 
humanity over and over. Um, and aren't these tests cruel because, you know, he's just setting us up to fail. Doesn't God know that we don't have what it takes? But um, this theme, it just kind of recurs and recurs. And then finally you get to Jesus and Jesus is the one who passes the test. He passes the test in the wilderness when he, when Satan confronts him and gives him all these promises and he's like, says, no, like I'm going to live by God's word. He passes the test in the garden of Gethsemane. He actually says to God, like, um, take, you know, uh, take this cup from me. Um, and it, it, this, this test he was, he was experiencing. Um, and, uh, and he succeeded. He was the human who, who passed the test. And, and then you've got in the epistles, like James, who's like, consider it pure joy when you're tested because a test from a, a good and loving God isn't a trap. It's an opportunity to like, to, um, to, align ourselves back with what, what God wants to do with us. Um, it's a trap when evil uses it, when the deceptive snake or the sin crouching at the door, like they want to trap, he wants to trap you. But a test from God is an opportunity to partner with him. And, and God will continue. I mean, we consider it pure joy when you consider these trials. Um, and um, uh, and we, have a, we have a brother in Christ who has succeeded on our behalf. So we're, even when we fail, we... Um, uh, we're not, we're not failing. We, uh, we have an opportunity to, um, come to Jesus and, and let him guide us. So that theme of testing, there's all sorts of themes we've done about, um, 15 of the videos around themes. There's probably 20 or so that we want to do in total. It keeps growing. Um, but just that whole paradigm of reading the Bible through these thematic elements, these motifs, um, has been really helpful for me. Yeah, those are, those are, I see, I really do empathize with people who have a tough time with these so-called tests because, I mean, you mentioned Cain and Abel. Cain seems to be a very Anakin Skywalker figure and you're like, come on, you don't, we know what's going to happen here. You're going to go Darth Vader and he, and he does and like God, like same with Saul, like God, why did you, I, I have always, I, I used to have a, 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 a pastor who I would debate this with and he'd go, Oh, you're such a Saul sympathizer. And I was like, I'm sorry, not just cause we're both tall. All right. Saul was very tall, but also that, uh, he just seems to be put in no win situations. I, I, I remember the one with Samuel where Samuel's like, look, going into battle, do not do the sacrifice. I will be back. And Samuel's got a great track record of predicting accurate things. And he says, I will be back. And I think it was like a week. Right. And so he's like, don't do anything. Don't do the sacrifice. And Saul's waiting and the people are getting agitated and the party's about to start. It's, I picture him like about to take off in the airplane. Like they're about to close the front gate, right? We are last call to board. And he's like, well, our, shoot. All right. We got to do the sacrifice, I guess. Right. Cause Samuel's late. Samuel, the guy you rely on Samuel. Right. And as soon as he does the sacrifice, like Samuel jumps out of the bushes, like, what are you doing? Right. And I'm like, Oh, come on, bro. Like you totally set Saul up there. Right. I know that's, Heretical. Saul had a choice. I get it, you know. But I'm just saying, it is. It does seem. It does seem tough. And then you build this beautiful garden, and God, God made us. If the, if the creation story is true, and God made us, yeah, He's like, look at all this beautiful stuff. But He knows human nature. But see that one thing over there. That is. I mean, you tell any four year old, see that. You can have any toy. Do not do that toy. And all you hear is, I will go after that toy. Like it's just, you know, and and also just how things you know, after Cain and Abel, right? It doesn't improve. It gets worse and worse and worse, and yeah. and you go. And he put that tree in the middle of the garden. 
It wasn't like it was like off to the side. <laughs> I'm gonna put it out to the corner. Just don't even go over there. Yeah, Just no, it's like it in exists. the middle. <laughs> He's put in the middle. It's like if you want to get from this side of the garden to that side of the garden, you've got to walk by this tree. And um, and it's actually a beautiful image of of the human condition, like you're saying, is that to get to the tree of life, we kind of have to duck under this other tree, which is this tree of deciding I'm gonna go on my own and do my own way. Um, and that's, that's the decision that, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. That we, we have to make all the time and that's really hard. It's really hard to make. Well, yeah. You choke in there. You just, <laughs> <we're>, <coughs> yeah. I got a little yeah, spirit filled right there. <laughs> see, I, I would have put cactus in there so you could see the tree and then you would like, so you'd be tempted, but then you get real close and be like, Oh no, all these cactus around it. Don't go in there, you know, cause at least you get a yeah. little reminder on, along put the, the way. cherubim in front of that tree. Yeah, what's I mean, it's it is it is so fascinating. Um, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned this image of God. Um, I know I, I've been trying to read a lot of N.T. Wright, and he was one of the ones who kind of first, you know, at least I heard posited this idea of like, oh wait, Belinda Carlisle was right. Heaven is a place on earth, as the song goes. Like it's actually not up in the sky. And which begs the question of all these movies that you grew up watching, where like all dogs go to heaven. They definitely go to a different place. The dogs do not renew the earth. So I knew I was in bad shape getting my theology from all dogs go to heaven. Um, but uh, it is this, this idea that we're made in the image of God. That is unprecedented, right? I mean, that from a theological standpoint, the idea that humans bear God's image, isn't that starkly different than almost every other uh, theological perspective at the time that we're this unique and special being? You know, I think so. I'm not like a... We can ask Tim. Uh, we could call uh, call your room, your professor, and ask him. But. Well, he, I mean, he would say the same thing. He's not like a uh, uh, a scholar of the history of religion, but or uh, but but he does. I mean, we've talked a lot about these ancient Near East um, mythologies and such, and it is it it is the creation narratives, the two stories in Genesis chapter one and two, they do stand in stark contrast to the like the. Um, the Mesopotamian um, epic um, and all these other ones that, uh, and it's true, like in, I don't remember the name of it, Anuma Elish, I think is what it's called. Um, this, the, this creation story from the kind of Sumerian or Babylonian Is this the Gilgamesh one or is that a different one? Which one? Gilgamesh. That's like I think the, he's in it. Yeah, I think one, he's, yeah, one name I remember. He's part of, he's part of it. And I might be blending some of these together, so sorry. Dude, you've I'm done really 200 not. explainer videos. You're allowed to mix them. Uh, <laughs> okay. I haven't done any explainer videos on, on these other ancient Near Eastern mythologies, but um, but so the uh, the humanity was like um, God. The gods put up with humans. We were kind of like this mess of like, like, and we were loud and we were noisy and we were smelly. And like, it was like the gods, like the reason why the flood came was just, they were just kind of tired of us. We were just making too much noise. Um, they, they had their own flood story, which is, resembles the flood story of the Bible. And, um, uh, and so this idea that humanity like is actually, well, uh, sorry, I should go back. And the king of, Mesopotamia or Samaria or Babylon or wherever it was, they were the image of God alone. So you had God, 
Then you had God's image, which was a statue, but also was the king, this human incarnate image God. I am the God and all the authority of the God. And so it was this way to say, I'm in charge. I rule. Um, You all have to obey me. So the Bible coming out and saying that Adam, which is the Hebrew word for humanity, uh, split in two, male and female, is the image of God. Um, that what it's saying is it's democratizing what was just this one ruler, the power that they had and saying all humanity has that power. That was definitely revolutionary. Um, and uh, I don't think, yeah, anyone else w- was saying things like that. That, that, that was, um, even, even today, it's still revolutionary in the sense of, male and female, equally the image of God. Um, And then all the tribes and nations that come out of that, that this kind of this idea of like, we're all brothers and sisters and we're all equally the image of God. In fact, while you are the image of God yourself individually, collectively, we are more the image of God. Um, That I'm the, the image of God is just not male and the image of God is not just female. It's, it's this collective that we, this whole, the whole human race. And that's, you know, these these ancient thinkers weren't um, weren't idiots. They were. They were well, pushing. it's like I feel bad. You know the whole uh, the whole uh, you know being a Karen right now. I feel so bad because you have to like remember like Karen is also made in the image of God, right? <laughs> Karen like, is in the image of God. Karen is in the image of God. I always think about that. Like you know, we're you think about people who just drive you insane, and you're just like this person. I am my. They make your blood boil. And if that theological perspective is true, you're like. Oh my gosh, like this person bears the royal image of the creator of the universe, right? And I'm like, and then you want to, you sure God? You know, like, well, what about you? And you're like, oh yeah. And then you think about just like your own mess. And uh, I I always think about this too. My my friend's dog the other day, beautiful, loyal dog, like follows everywhere, you know, will bring in the paper, does everything that a loyal dog should, you, you know? And then just, we looked one day over in the corner and it was just dragging its butt across the carpet really undignified for this beautiful mm-hmm. dog. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I was like, wow, that dog is all those things and yet still does that. And I wonder like, man, are we like, you know, humans in all our mess. And you think, man, how could we be made in the image of God when you factor in collectively all the just the drama and the mess that we are as people and yet still bear that that image of God? That is that is mind boggling to me because there, there are days when I definitely don't feel like that, you know? It is. A, it's a high view of humanity which um, is a little reckless sometimes to, to have because we, we can be pretty screwed up. But that's the Psalm 8, you know, the psalmist of Psalm 8. He's like, he says, what is man that, you, um, that you've, you've crowned us with glory and honor? You've made us lower than the angels, but, but you've created us to rule the earth. And, um, and the psalmist is kind of blown away by God's strategy. And, and, and I am too. Like it's that's a it's a dumb strategy. Like the God of the universe created creating these mud creatures, and then saying you're going to be the ones that are going to be my authority to, to reflect my character and my will on this planet. It's like that was a bad plan, and then he doubles down on it, and he's like, okay, it's not going well. I'm going to choose uh, a family out of here, and that family can figure it out. And then they will teach the whole world. And that was a bad plan. And then God's like, okay, I'm going to do it for you in Jesus. I'm going to become human. 
and I'm going to show you how it's done, and I'm going to save you from this wreck. And um, he just keeps doubling down over and over and over. I'm, it's this relentless pursuit of us, despite it being such a full-hearted plan in the first place. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you ever look at this and just go, man, like, I mean, if on one hand, I could see this being an argument for the Bible's authenticity. How, if it was just, you know, if it was all propaganda, why do you leave in all the the the, the management errors we've had? I mean, at some point, you're going, okay, like let's just scrap this project, right? Project Humanity, you know, Space Force, whatever it is, it's 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 not working out, and I, I I'm just blown away at that. I mean, how does this? Why do we? God does keep doubling down allows us to happen. And and the other thing too is you, you mentioned Crazy's Mud People and talks about this image of God. So many people, I mean, you you know, you're you're in Portland with access to the finest coffee in the world and get to enjoy these cool gadgets and you know, and I I'm in Southern California and I go, most of history, they didn't even have the luxury of talking like this, right? You farmed, hurricanes came in or you know, earth whatever, just you know, natural disasters destroyed you, you were eaten by a lion. Like life was it seems like life was miserable for most of history. Uh, and so you go, man, like, how does this image of God thing play out when so many people never make it out of the womb and there's just so much suffering and disaster on the earth, right? It feels like we're kind of settled onto a little slice of heaven right now in this modern, you know, times we're in. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very unique time in human history. I am inter- I, I wonder what it was like pre-agriculture. Um if things were a little a little better in some regards but yeah i mean famine uh uh plague well, i guess we're experiencing some of that right now yeah or but, Rome, just an army you wake up one morning like what's that oh that's an army of like a foreign invader just like yeah and we're done yeah just yeah. marching in and they're gonna take everything and you're like oh that's just a you know this is a reality yeah, famine, plague and war like every generation of humans throughout history have had to think and worry about those things on a daily basis and we and we don't except for right now we have this kind of mini plague happening that's making us all have to stay inside more than we want and i mean it's horrible and people are dying and stuff but it's still this is a like a remarkable time in human history um and uh but yeah even still even when we were just around just like you know, the times that the Bible was written where it was Bronze Age and um, <laughs> Bronze Age fighting and Bronze Age farming and all that stuff. The humans were the image of God. Yeah, it is. It is a profound mystery. I've always wrestled with and we always, we asked we've asked a few of the scholars that have come on just, you know, if, if life is so important and it is this test and there is this sort of evaluation, this trial period, <laughs> you know, that's. Uh, for humans to undergo, why do so many just never make it out of the womb? Even I, I think I read somewhere that infant mortality was something like anywhere from ten to thirty percent, or you know, a, whatever, a, a massive number of people you know die, or just you know the fact that you had eight kids and what three didn't make it to age twelve. I mean, that was just the reality. And yet, you know, it's easier. It seems like it's easier to preach today. You're wonderfully, fearfully made. God's got a plan for you. I hear that message quite a bit, especially now in 2020. And yet you look back, like, how would the preaching change back then? You know, when it's like, hey, maybe you'll the, your life expectancy is like 30. You know, I don't know what the plans are. And so it, it's interesting to read the Bible with that and try and just put yourself in what would what would it be like back then? What would those verses? How would those verses hit home? Because I read them right now and I go, oh yeah, like, you know, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, like that's all you have, right? One guy's got the scroll and we're like clinging to that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I would imagine if you are, you know, say uh, like a servant of some other family and you um, you don't have a lot and you, you know, you're pretty low in the socioeconomic status to be told that you are the image of God even though you're out there farming for another family or doing whatever, like that's, that's got to actually give them a little bit more juice than telling some modern American in the middle class, you know, you're the image of God is like, of course, yeah, I'm like, I'm important. And, uh, I have Liberty and I have freedoms. And of course I'm, you know, it probably doesn't have that same umph that it did back then. No, that's a good point. Um, I want to, as we kind of wrap up here, I'd love to ask, so you said you've kind of been all in for, on the Jesus train, for lack of a better term, for, you know, most of your sentient life. And yet you've also written extensively that you have naturally brought a lot of skepticism to everything. What has made Christianity the the current best explanatory mechanism for the way the world works and the universe for you? Uh, what What has kind of led you to say, you know, I think this is the, this is the right lens to look at the world. Yeah. I, well, I mean, just honestly, it's, it's the one I was given. I, I, I grew up, I inherited it from my family. Um, that's one big reason. I mean, and you just gotta be honest with it. Like, um, does that bother you though? I mean, that it was given to you as a, or do you feel like it's been given and then proven true? Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think, I think, I think I have to begin there just to be, uh, honest and transparent is like it's not like i was five years old and i was doing some audit of all the world religions and i was like you know what i think this christianity thing is the one to go with that'd be impressive i was at like five. i, I was like in sunday school and they're like this is the prayer you pray um and uh and then when your whole social life social circles your family to decide not to use that as your paradigm has you know so many implications. So it's just like all the gravity is towards, is towards that. Um, and so, but I'm not the kind of guy who is going to just stay with something if it's, if it's ridiculous. And, um, and I, I, and I do, there's a skepticism that I have is kind of innate to me as an Enneagram five or as a, just whatever, however you want to categorize it. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and so I, I did find that there was friction with Christianity in that, that at least in my tradition that I grew up in, there wasn't a lot of that allowed. Um, and, uh, um, I think then, you know, once you get into adulthood, you have to, you have to really decide, okay, I was given this thing. Is this really the right worldview mechanism to, to continue with. And, um, and I don't want to assume that, um, I just lucked out and here I am. I was born into the right family with the right beliefs. Um, uh, but at the same time, I got to be honest that the, all the gravity is towards keeping it like that's just the reality. Um, and, uh, and I didn't have any good reasons to let it go. It wasn't like it was failing me in any way. Um, 
but but I guess the real answer I would give, like it was like, so why still? Why follow Jesus? Um, is uh, who the heck knows what's really going on? Like, why am I? Why am I alive right now talking to you? Why am I this conscious, sentient being? Uh, is this a simulation? Uh, like, you know, there's this is weird. Reality is strange, and um, uh, and and it's dangerous. Like we are always one step away from whether it's a virus or uh, a political regime or another nation, like just there's death and there's problems. Um, and um, I, I am both just in awe of what humans are and can do and just scared to death of humans. And, um, and I have, a, and so I think what the Bible does to me is it gives me uh, optimism and it gives me um, uh, uh, a story that, that humanity is living in that I think is a really noble, beautiful story. And then the way of Jesus is one that is, is, is one that just cuts through all the crazy and just gives this, this, this really backwards, but then beautiful vision for what it means to be human. Now, is something true because it's beautiful? And because it's compelling, because it helps make sense of things. Well, not necessarily. Um, so that's where I have to then take the stretch and say, um, uh, I, I I want it to be true. Uh, I hope it's true. Um, it is true. I don't know what the right verbiage is, but but uh, but I believe that that Jesus was a dude who cared. Like he grew up as an Israelite who had this literature and he upset, he was a nerd about this literature and he saw it as this whole story leading up to him and his life and his vision for humanity. And, um, and then, and, and so if I am, if I want to follow him, I need to take that, the, the whole package of literature seriously. And, um, uh, and so I moved my chips in and I kind of continue to have to do that over and over. I feel like I never fully get to the place where I'm like, oh yeah, I figured that out. It's just like, it's always this next season of like, am I really following Jesus? Am I following Jesus in this way? Do I really believe that's true? And then it's like, yeah, okay. I got to put my chips in again. And it's just this constant, uh, uh, journey in that way. Um, as part of that and- answered, I mean, Part of that also answered prayer. I, I I always ask people too because presumably, you know, we'll say we're human. We don't know what to pray for, as the scriptures say. You know, we have broken you know GPSs in that regard. But ostensibly, we get a couple prayers correct every now and then. And you you know you follow this this path long enough, you should see something happen or whatnot. Have you had any experiences that you know are either answers to prayer or spiritual experiences that lead you to say, yeah, you know taking in all this data, this is just another kind of sprinkle on the cake to see, yeah, I think this is true. Yeah. I've been talking about it in a very cerebral way. I, um, and, and it's because I'm kind of a cerebral person. Um, but I have had those experiences and they are very rich where there's this sense, there's this, this communion with God, God actually, you know, not audibly, but like telling you things, helping you process, helping me process things. Um, I've seen, I've seen, what I, I just it would have had to have been a miracle, like experienced firsthand. Um, and 
I, um, and I've had, the, and I've had those moments of just real rich intimacy with God that, um, carries me through. Does that mean it's all true? Um, and I don't think that's your question. How do I know if this is true or not? But I think the question is why, why am I, why am I in? And well, you see, yeah, you've seen reasons. miracle. I mean, that's, can we pry? We do love a good miracle story. If it's not, you know, or, or could you share it it's all? It's a long, a long story. Oh. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a short version, but you're going to want more detail. Yeah. Before zoom charges me more because <laughs> <laughs> they actually, I just, I apparently didn't upgrade again. So I was like, oh, so we'll, we'll I, I want to respect your time too, but I'd love to, if you can give me an abridged uh, miracle story, we always love those. A gram ver- miracle a, story Instagram version is, um, I was 17 I, uh, living in the suburb of Seattle with my family, I was a junior in high school, um, five guys at like 10 o'clock at night came, broke into our house, um, held us at gunpoint, duct taped us up, like ransacked the house. We're in there for like an hour and a half. They left. No one was injured. Um, and that's not the miracle. I mean, that is a miracle that no one's injured in a home invasion robbery. 90% of those end up with death or violence, uh, really bad violence. Um, uh, the miracle is that um, I, I thought I recognized one of the guys. I, I only saw two of the guys. And I kind of thought I recognized him. I didn't know why or where. It just kind of, but his, his, but his face was just kind of in my mind. And um and so that night, we're not going to sleep at our house. We just had this traumatic experience. We went to my grandparents' house. They live a half mile away. We go and we, and I'm sleeping on their hide-a-bed um, in their living room. I wake up the next morning and because someone had come to my grandparents' house, it was a friend of my parents who realized we're probably there because they saw us on the news, the home invasion robbery, the whole thing. And they figured they're, they're at my 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 mom's folks place. And, um, so I wake up, I look out the window and, um, there's a police officer frisking a dude. And I'm like, why is there a police officer frisking a guy in front of my grandparents' house? This was this town's going to pot. And, and I look at the guy and I'm like, wait, that's the guy. That's the same guy. And, um, so I go tell my dad and my dad goes out there and the police officer's like, was this kid in your yard? And he's like, he was in my house last night. And they're like, what are you talking about? So, they take him in and the, so this, is what, this is what happened. That, that kid, I mean, these were kids. These were young kids that did this. They were in their tw- early 20s. They, um, he, um, he, I guess, was up all night and like it was early in the morning. He was, he was running down the street. The chief of police in an unmarked car sees this kid running down the street duck into a yard, pull out a sprinkler head and is kind of holding it like a weapon. And the chief of police goes, that's weird. I'm going to, I'm going to see what's going on. He calls back up, follows the kid. And then when backup comes, they pull the kid over right on my grandparents street, start frisking him. I wake up, I look out the window. There's a guy getting frisked. The guy gets, so they bring him in for like the sprinkler head thing. And then they go stake out his house or they go to his room and all of our stuff is there. It was the same. It was that kid. And then they stake out his room and they catch all five guys in the same day. So, so that's my miracle story. I mean, it's, it's traumatic to go through something like that. And I think God has just said like, I want to, I'm going to, I'm just going to put closure to this right away for your family. Wow. Um, and the fact that that guy at that moment was at the place that we ended up being at and the chief of police saw the whole thing. It's like, okay, 
the world is random. What's the probability? It exists somewhere in the world of probabilities, but um, uh, but that's yeah, that's my miracle. Oh man, um, well, dude, thank you so much. That was incredible. Uh, really appreciate it, John. Thanks for joining us and kind of Christian. I hope you'll come back and we can talk more Near Eastern Sumerian mythology. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm better prepared with my Babylonian epics. Now this is great, bro. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Kind of Christian. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review.